Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we are the Minimalists. Ryan, we often buy things that look great in an Instagram ad just to receive a package filled with silly, second-rate, substandard stuff. Mm -hmm. Have you ever purchased something that looked great online, but it turned out to be a piece of junk? Are you talking about Wish.com? <laughs> well, maybe that thing you purchased fell apart after a month. Maybe it didn't live up to all the reviews. Maybe it was cheap, flimsy, and inferior. Today on this public episode of The Minimalist Podcast, we're talking about the good goods. That is, high-quality things that last, useful things that we are grateful to own. Then this Thursday on the Minimalist Private Podcast, Ryan and I are going to talk about seven brands we trust for home furnishings and other household goods. We'll also talk to some of our listeners about some of the mediocre things they've purchased that didn't match the hype. You can check that out at patreon.com slash The Minimalist. Your support keeps our podcast and YouTube channel 100% advertisement free because advertisements suck. All right, Ryan, before we get into our questions today, yeah. I want to talk about this title. Yes. Where the good good comes from or the yeah. good goods. Yeah, I wish I wish I could say that we thought of it. I know <laughs> because it's so good. It is so good. It's that good good. We're not talking about morally good, by the way. Right. We're talking about well, things that we enjoy, yeah, right? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, right? yeah. And our friend, Brett and Janelle, both of our friends, they run a great coffee shop in Dayton, Ohio. This started the month after we started The Minimalist. So we yes. started in December of 2010. They opened this coffee shop called Press mm -hmm. in Dayton, Ohio. They now have two locations and they roast their own coffee under the name Woodboro Coffee. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. We don't get anything from telling you about them, but they're slogan for many years now their tagline for their coffee is that good good yeah and it is they do a really good job it's crazy to me how you know you and i uh when we were in the corporate world trying to find a way out of it we talked about opening up a coffee shop and we listed out a bunch of names and press was one of the names that we came up with that's right that's really wild yeah and uh, well, they are good friends of ours. In fact, our first three books, Minimalism, Everything That Remains, and Essential, were all partially written in that coffee shop in yeah, Dayton. Yeah. In fact, you could you see that coffee shop now in our last film on Netflix, yep. Less Is Now. Mm -hmm. And uh, all three of those first three books were edited completely in that coffee shop yeah. there on Wayne Avenue in Dayton, Ohio. So shout out to them. But today, we're not talking about coffee, although we can. They make great coffee, but we're talking about good goods, the good goods, the things that we enjoy, useful things that we are grateful to own. Before we dive into the questions, I have a survey question for you. Where do you listen to this podcast? Do me a favor, hop on YouTube and let me know because I'm just curious about this for something I'm working on in the future. Where do you listen to this podcast? Are you at the gym? Are you washing dishes? Are you cleaning the house? Are you at work? Are you in the car? Are you on a stakeout? <laughs> Every time I see a stakeout in a, a movie, I look at Bex and I'm like, we should do stakeouts. 
It looks so fun. <laughs> looks fun. You can sit there and listen to audiobook or listen to podcasts. You get binoculars. Get binoculars. Oh. Cool gadgets. Oh, man. <laughs> Speaking of cool gadgets, that's what I always... Um, I haven't like went out and bought any cool gadgets, but I always see cool gadget um, advertisements on Instagram. Right. It'll be like a floating lamp or like... You know what I'm talking about? I absolutely know yeah. what you're or, talking or, about. Um, what almost got me was that light phone. Because I was like, oh, man, like that's be so good to have that like just regular basic phone no texting but then i realized i would just basically have to carry around a laptop then to do certain things yeah that i can just do it anyway i thought about that as well with the light phone like this is great and then i started thinking more i know i hate phone calls this does the one thing right. that i hate yeah. doing exactly yeah back in our corporate <laughs> days we were in telecom and i remember we'd get our bills and they were free but like it would mm-hmm. show me how many minutes i was using a month and there were some months where i was using seven thousand minutes a month yeah that's insane yeah yeah and so anyway let's move on to the good goods we have some questions here let's start with our callers if you have a question or comment for our podcast give us a call 406-219-7839 or email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com our first question today is from leanne in riverside ohio which is really just dayton ohio Is there a curated list somewhere on the internet of companies that sell high-quality, durable goods that also take responsibility for their social and environmental impact? So, Leanne, I think this is an expansive question. I'm glad we're starting the episode with this question. By the way, shout out to our patrons who are watching this live right now. If you have a question or comment for us as you're watching this live, leave it in the chat. We'll do our best to get to those as soon as we can, or we'll get to them on the Maximal episode this week as well. So Leanne, let's talk about a few things. You're asking about socially conscious companies, responsible companies Mm. who are responsible for their social and environmental impact. So I want to talk about a few things with you, Ryan, because I think we need to get some terms out on the table. But then I have some lists of some actual companies. We'll put links to these in the show notes. But let's start by talking about what a B corporation is. I'm sure it's a term that many people are becoming familiar with now because Mm. a B corporation doesn't just put money first. And so I have this Wikipedia article here. So also known as a benefit corporation, although there can be distinctions between a B corp and a benefit corporation. I'm not going to get into the exact details here, but I'm just going to read this for you and we can use it as a jump off point for discussion here. In business... B Corporation, also B Lab or B Corp, is a private certification of for-profit companies of their social and environmental performance. It is distinct from the legal designation as a benefit corporation. B Corp certification is conferred by B Lab, a global nonprofit organization with offices in the United States, Europe, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand, and a partnership in Latin America. To be granted and to maintain certification, companies must receive a minimum score of 80 from an assessment of, quote, social and environmental performance. Integrate B Corp commitments to stakeholders into the company governing documents and pay an annual fee based on annual sales. Companies must recertify every three years to maintain their status. Mm. So here's the purpose of a B Corp. B Lab certification is a third party standard requiring companies to meet social sustainability 
environmental performance standards, meet accountability standards, and be transparent to the public according to the score they receive on the assessment. B-Lab certification applies to the whole company across all product lines and issue areas. Let me talk to you real quick about how this is different from a regular corporation. Okay. Now, quite often it's easy to demonize corporations, right? Yeah. Because a corporation, it sounds evil. You, you even it conjures these images of like, there's this old stuffy guy who's in a ivory tower making decisions to kill people and hurt the environment. And you know what? That is that's not far off in some corporations. Yeah. And and so the problem is when we talk about corporations, it's a lot different. Every nonprofit that you know of is a nonprofit corporation. Right. So when we demon when we demonize corporations, we're inadvertently also demonizing nonprofit corporations. Yeah. The, the difference is there's nonprofit, there's for profit, and there's these sort of in between areas. You have B corporations. There's a grocery store right down the street, Air One, that is a B corporation. Oh, and so what this means is a regular traditional S corp or any other sort of corp, regular corporation, for profit corporation tends to have a fiduciary responsibility in which their main objective is to make money Mm. above all else. A B Corp, money, it does play a role. In fact, it has to play a role. Otherwise, you're going to go out of business. You can't do the social good that you want to do. Mm -hmm. But it is not the only thing that is driving the vehicle. There are social and environmental aspects of a B corporation. Now, there are some other designations. I'm going to run by you real quick. We're not going to dive into the details of them because, uh, well, uh, it starts to get a little bit confusing because there are just uh, some subtle nuances between the other three that I wanted to mention. Low profit LLCs, also known as L3Cs. They're a form of business entity in the United States, commonly referred to as a hybrid structure. So um, this is a IRS designation. Mm. And so, again, profitability not being the main main thing, but they also are a social enterprise. Mm. And then we have what is called a social purpose corporation, very similar. A social purpose corporation, or SPC, is a type of for-profit entity, a corporation in some U.S. states that enables but, do not, but does not require considering social and environmental issues in decision-making. So enables, meaning like, Okay, you don't have to put money first mm. here, right? Yeah. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And then finally, we have what is called a sustainable business. A sustainable business or a green business is an enterprise that has minimal negative impact or potentially positive effect on the global or local environment, community, society, or economy. A business that strives to meet the triple bottom line. And it goes on to talk about what the triple bottom line is. I also want to talk to you on the Maximal this week, Ryan, about greenwashing. Oh, yeah. It's this, uh, this, um, this term where quite often these companies that try to appear sustainable, Mm-hmm. but they're simply greenwashing their their business yeah. in a way. Greenwashing, well, we'll get into that on The Maximal this week. But to get back to the question at hand from Leanne, Leanne, when we're talking about socially responsible companies, quite often they fall under one of these 
monikers, right? They're either B Corp, they're a low profit LLC, or they are a social purpose company, they're a sustainable business. And so I pulled up some lists, Ryan, that I wanted to talk to you about. This first list is from Grow Ensemble. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. And it's 10 of our favorite socially responsible companies. This is great, man. This, uh, the B Corp, this is like total news to me. I had no idea that well, there was there was a designation like that for corporations. The, the reason cool. you probably didn't have an idea is there aren't many of them. It's mm. it's pretty stringent. It's difficult to become a B Corp. Yeah. It's relatively new within the last decade or so. Okay. But as of Q2 2022, there are only about, what is it, 4,800 B Corps. Oh, wow in 153 industries in 79 countries. Mm. So there's probably only a few thousand in the United States. So yeah. because the 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 it takes a lot to become a B Corp, a mm. socially conscious corp. However, it doesn't mean that you can't do something socially conscious without that status, right? Right, yeah. Y- you and I, we, we have a regular LLC. Yeah. We don't have a, what is it, a low profit limited, like, I mean, although some years it's certainly low profit. (laughs) Uh, I I might even call it a low profit, but it just doesn't have that IRS designation. Right. And so that's cool. One thing I want to talk about when we're answering Leanne's question here, once we get past some of these socially responsible companies, is Mm -hmm. I want to talk about some other companies who fall in there that might be a little bit surprising. So here are 10 of our favorite socially responsible companies, according to Grow Ensemble. I kind of want to like try and guess uh, companies on this list, but I won't do that because that'll take too much time. Give me two. Give me two Uh, guesses. Patagonia? They're the first one on the list. Okay. All right. And then... I'll just say I'll just stick with Patagonia. I don't have anything else <laughs> off the top of my head. Well, here's some notable B corporations. This is from the Wikipedia page entry. Um, Allbirds, Ben and Jerry's, Coursera, oh. Etiquette, uh, Patagonia, Saxby's. So, so Patagonia is also a B corp. Mm. Seventh Generation, The Body Shop, something called Meow Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously there are 4,800. But Patagonia is the first one on the, the list here. Patagonia gives 1% of all sales to environmental organizations globally. Their organization is considered, quote, the activist company. Mm. As calls to action are found directly within their website. In addition to serving as a link to action, Patagonia hosts a phenomenal blog that showcases some of the most impactful environmental efforts in some of the most beautiful places around the world. Plus, Patagonia is a founding member member of the Fair Labor Association and makes all of their products from sustainable or recycled materials. Wow. We're going to be talking about that more, about finding clothing companies that are sustainable and environmentally friendly as well. Responsible. The second one on here, you certainly could have guessed Dr. Bronner's. Oh, of course. Dr. Bronner's. Yes, I could have guessed that. I just bought some of their soap uh, this weekend from my local pharmacy. And in fact, Bex and I just moved into this new house and we're getting to know this new awesome community of like seven or 8,000 people and learning of all of the local businesses. We're going to talk about that in terms of the good goods here as well. I'll mention a few more here. Clean Canteen, spelled with two Ks, Clean Canteen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ella, my daughter, has a Clean Canteen. Yeah, I think Ryan and I both have one. A little sippy cup that she uses. Yeah, right, exactly. It's a spill-proof sippy cup that totally works really well because I tend to spill a lot of things. (laughs) 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 But this prevents it from getting everywhere. 
There's a, a something called All Good Products, which I was unfamiliar with till I read about this. All Good Products is a B Corporation member that sells skin products that are good for your family and good for the planet. Mm. This organization is especially known for reef-friendly sunscreen. And you can also learn why this is important in the, in the article here. Uh, another one is Warby Parker, the glasses manufacturer. Oh. They're an example of real-world experience problem-solving. When its founders confronted the obstacle of overly expensive glasses, they launched into action providing an affordable eyewear company. Like many socially responsible product-based companies, Warby Parker supports transparency, sharing how their glasses are made with its customers. And I think that's one thing that comes up quite often with many of these socially responsible companies is there's a, an additional layer of transparency how the sausage or the Coca-Cola is made is often foreign to us. It's mm. just like, I buy the product and I'm going to just pretend nothing harmful went into this chemical-wise, any harmful labor practices. Yeah. But when you have a company like Warby Parker, who's being more transparent, then quite often we can feel better about the things that we buy. Yeah, I will tell you, though, last week on the added value segment of the podcast with TK Coleman, I talked about a book that just came out, uh, I think last year called The Every. Mm. And Danny Unknown, wherever he is, he's, he's, um, he's reading it right now. And one of the things they talk about in there is impact anxiety. Oh, wow. And I don't know if that's a term that Dave Eggers invented, the author of the book, or if it, it certainly feels like something that is part of the zeitgeist. But yeah. we worry about what impact is this going to make? Yes. And one of the ways that we can reduce that worry is by supporting companies that are environmentally friendly or responsible. It doesn't mean that we have to be 100% perfect, and we're going to talk about that in this episode, how we can balance it out by being more intentional more frequently. Mm. i got a couple more companies here for you. Ben & Jerry's, which, I mean, might be, yes, they are committed to fair trade, climate action, LBGTQ, equality, et cetera. But also um, keep in mind that you're still buying ice cream. So. <laughs> you're still buying frozen, frozen sugar. <laughs> I, and I think that that's a, a perfect illustration. If you're going to buy ice cream, why not, why not buy it yeah. from a, a company that does support or align, does, does align with your values in some way if yeah. you have those values. But then also keeping in mind that Buying more ice cream to be more to reduce your impact uh, agony or impact anxiety is not ideal because it's going to give you a different kind of anxiety. Yes. And how do we apply that to the rest of our consumption? Buying more sustainable products is not the su most sustainable route. Yeah. 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 You cannot buy your way to sustainability. <laughs> <laughs> Tweet that podcast, Sean, wherever you are today. We got P3 sitting in for uh, for podcast, Sean, today. Uh, Bombas, which uh, many of my socks are actually maybe all of my socks are oh, from cool. Bombas. They uh, they do this sort of model where you buy a pair and they give a pair to someone in need, mm. especially like homeless shelters and and and, and people who are um, yeah. Who, who are outside of homeless shelters as well, unhoused individuals, yeah. uh, they quite often the number one request. Socks. socks, yeah. Yeah. It's, so uh, Bombas provides those. It's We uh, we have that one venue we go to in Chicago. I forget the name of it. The Wilbur? No. Anyway. It, Thalia it, Hall? Yeah, Thal yeah, Thalia Hall. And uh, they always have like socks laying out for basically the bands that come through. And I had no idea, but Sky Steel, we were at that venue. He was opening up for us and he was explaining to me how like clean socks is like the number one thing that 
musicians on the road need all the time. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, it's not too surprising to find out. So they're like the Toms for socks. Yes. In so, fact, Toms is another company that's <laughs> yeah, on here. I was going to Yeah. I own a pair of Toms. I stopped wearing them recently. Full disclosure, a few weeks ago, I talked about these shoes that I have, which I don't know what list. I don't see them on this list. Uh, they're called, I don't even know what they're called. Suaves. Is it on the bottom? Yeah, I own I own a, a few pairs. There's no logo or anything. Mm. Uh, I own Toms, but they the quality was starting to reduce for me mm. because I wear them all the time. And these these are super comfortable. I just wonder how sustainable they are. Yeah. But one way these are more sustainable for me is they have this insert that I pull out and you can just replace this insert without having to replace the whole shoe. Also, you awesome. can wash these shoes in your washing machine. That's cool. Which I have a washing machine for the first time in many years <laughs> with this. Bex and I just bought this new house. We're going to actually do a, a a future podcast episode in the not too distant future about home ownership versus renting because I have certain anxieties about home ownership in general. Mm -hmm. I want to share those with you, but we'll talk a bit about some of the the new home furnishings that Bex and I are considering on the Maximal episode yeah. this week. And I want to run some ideas by Ryan. Here's one other one that I'm actually going to be um, a customer of in the not too distant future. This is the Grove Collaborative. You've maybe heard of Grove. I'm not sure. Yeah. They're another uh, certified B Corp. The Grove is your one-stop shop for all things healthy home and personal care. Mm. The Grove Collaborative provides an option for you to purchase products that are safer for you and your family. And its products are geared toward a healthier planet as well. The Grove is a member of the carbon offsetting movement. And as mentioned earlier, for every shipment, they purchase carbon credits to counterbalance their emissions. Mm -hmm. Clean delivery for happy cleaning. So cleaning products that aren't full of harsh chemicals and unhealthy for you and your family, mm -hmm. but also they are socially and environmentally conscious company mm -hmm. as well. And so uh, a couple others on here. Aspiration, which I had never heard of until yesterday. Mm -hmm. Aspiration is a neobank an online financial institution that is, wait for it, a B Corp, certified and a 1% for the Planet member. And so uh, it's a bank that is more oh, wow. sustainable. It's like an online bank. It is. Yeah, okay. And then finally on here, they have Tom's. We all know the sort of one-for-one one model. You buy a pair of shoes, they give a pair of shoes to someone in need. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. I also have another link for another article here. 12 socially responsible companies to applaud. There is some overlap in that one, but there are several others in there like Lego, which was surprising to me. That is, yeah, yeah. that's crazy. The, Le the Lego group achieved an A leadership status in the, 19, or in the 2021 CDP climate change questionnaire, making it the sixth consecutive year the company received a leadership leadership level CDP climate change rating. That's wild because they're little pieces of plastic. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, w good for them. Which actually brings me to the next article. And this is why I want to be careful. I want to be a little skeptical of these lists because this one is from DonorBox. We'll put a link to this in the show notes as well. It's 14 sustainable companies. And this list, completely different from the first two. Mm. Adidas, Starbucks, Ikea, Bosch. Wait, Ben and Jerry's is there again. <laughs> Apple, Coca-Cola, Alaska Airlines. Wow. BMW, Dell, Walt Disney, and Microsoft. Yeah. Now, this list is a list of socially responsible companies that are strongly committed to, quote, corporate social responsibility, or mm. CRS. Mm. Now, here's what I want to talk to you about, Ryan. I also want to talk to Leanne about this. Here's the problem we run into. 
when we look for certain prescriptions, criteria, anyone can sort of find their ways to game the system. Yes. And so I, I'm torn here because, yes, if Coca-Cola is making steps to be more environmentally conscious, mm. is that a net positive relative to them not doing it? Sure. Yeah. But perhaps the true net positive is not us su- supporting a business that provides these sugary drinks that creates a lot of dis-ease mm. in, in our world. And so the most intentional consumption has to do with limiting our consumption to things that truly add value to our lives. If the average American household has 300,000 items in it, but 90 plus percent of those things are obsolete or useless or get in the way, clutter, Mm -hmm. right? Then it's more sustainable to focus on the 10% of the things or the 5% or whatever that we do need. And don't be anxious about the things that we do need, the things that add value to our lives. And yes, buy them from sustainable companies we can. But the most sustainable thing is to remove ourselves from the equation of buying the useless junk in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. I do know that Coca-Cola, they use recycled bottles. Like they, yeah. So maybe that's why they're on that list. It could be. And the article goes into in depth. In fact, you know what? Let's we'll look at Coca-Cola real quick as one of the examples. Adidas yeah. shocked me. Starbucks shocked me. Yeah, most of those. Sho- Ikea. Ikea. Most of those shocked me. Yeah. Let's see. Coca-Cola is right here. Coca-Cola donates at least 1% of its annual operating income to supporting causes and initiatives. Since 2014, they have helped provide clean drinking water for refugees in the Middle East through Arwa's Price of Water campaign. More, Learn more about this here. So, hmm. okay. So they are doing some socially conscious and environmentally conscious things. However, it could be the most environmentally conscious thing to not buy it at all. Right. You know what, Ryan? We got some uh, questions here from Patreon. Malabama, let's talk to Rico for a second. Can anything high quality be bought from a dollar store? (laughs) Anything of high quality. So, Ryan, here's what I want to talk to you about. So I think we're maybe asking a question, the wrong question here. Mm, Yeah. I don't mean morally wrong. I mean, the wrong question in the sense of like, can it be healthy to eat poop? <laughs> the answer to that is actually yes. There's something called FMTs, fecal transplants, right? Yeah, right? If you have problems with your gut microbiome and your small intestine, or especially in your colon, your large intestine, yeah. then there are ways to reseed your gut microbiome mm. by either doing a suppository of feces yes. or swallowing feces. Yeah. And so. But most of us aren't going to say, should I eat poop today? Right. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Now, how, how, why am I, why am I comparing a dollar store to poop? Well, here, here's another. <laughs> I think ar- it's pretty clear. <laughs> <laughs> here's another article for you, Ryan. It's called Five Environmental and Ethical Costs of Shopping at Dollar Stores. When you buy something at a dollar store, you'll likely walk out having spent less than you would have elsewhere. You may have saved money, but you certainly won't be saving anything else Mm. because you're popping up uh, because you're popping up on seemingly every corner or because they are popping up on seemingly every corner. It's not hard to drop in for a quick, cheap purchase. But unfortunately, we've come up with five. uh, (laughs) We've come up with five environmental and ethical costs of shopping at dollar stores that aren't listed on the price tag. So what are dollar stores? First off. Family Dollar, Dollar Tree, 
and Dollar General are some of the big names in the world of dollar stores. Mm -hmm. Their main business ethos is pretty easy to understand. Provide customers with convenience and affordability. And I'll even say this, Ryan, that these cheap goods, they benefit both the consumer and the corporation, Mm -hmm. at least ostensibly. Right. And in the very short term. Yes. Because I can save some money on a cheap widget that is probably going to break very soon. Right. Now, the question is, did I need that cheap widget in the first place? Mm -hmm. And are there quality items in some of these dollars? Sure. I'm sure. I'm sure some things in the dollar store are of some quality and they may last a while. But the truth that we're going to see in this article is that there is a whole lot of other costs outside of that that dollar. Yeah. And we want to be careful with how we're spending our time and what else we're doing to the planet here. So uh, it says that these dollar stores are taking most of our cities by storm. In fact, as America's neighborhood general store, Dollar General now has more than 17,000 locations in 46 states. They're offering everything, beauty and health supplies, food and snacks, cleaning supplies, apparel, seasonal items, paper products, and housewares. They offer many of the same brands and products at at other stores like drugstores and grocery stores, but they do so at a cheaper price. Mm. And I'll say this, an ostensibly cheaper price. Right. Because as we'll learn here, it's not always cheaper. Yeah, there are other costs associated. You know what's interesting about that, though? Like a lot of brands start out in the dollar store. So like, for example, Axe Body Spray, that was a cheapo $1 thing at the at the dollar store. And then it started to get popular. So now they're like, oh, now we can charge more for this and put it in, you know, in, in the more expensive stores. Yeah. Same thing with like Mrs. Myers. That was dollar, a dollar store brand um, soap. Now it's like, and maybe we'll get into this a little bit in the maximal, but it's it's a greenwashing type uh, company. Yeah. That, yeah, that looks healthy. It looks like it's good for you. Not a lot of chemicals. And yeah, they, they charge you with that in mind, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they, they upcharge you. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Mariah has a just a sensitivity to stuff. Mm-hmm. So she's got this app. You could look up different brands and it'll tell you on a scale of like one to five or something about like how how toxic it is. And Mariah, do you remember the name of that app? EW. Oh yeah, EWG. That's where I check my tap water as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. So like Mrs. Myers actually is, um, what is it? Like a three or a four? Four out of ten. Okay. Yeah, four. Yeah, four and five out of ten. So again, like the greenwashing, they make it look super healthy, but you actually look at what's in it, and um, it may not be as healthy as it as exactly. it reports to yeah. be. Yeah. So here are five ways that the here are the five environmental and ethical costs of shopping at dollar stores. I'll say that one more time here. Here are the environmental and ethical costs, five of them, for shopping at dollar stores. Number one, dollar stores hurt local economies. Mm. So that's a big thing that we rarely think about. You know, yeah. and it's not just dollar stores, it's Amazon, Walmart, et cetera. I remember when Ryan, we were kids and Walmart came to town in 88. Oh my God. And it just decimated yes. the little sort of local downtown areas, right? Yeah. Yep. And I remember in Middletown, Ohio, in particular, you know, you go down that whole downtown there is now it's like one of the most tragic areas. It's it looks yeah. a lot like East St. Louis or something. Yeah, it's wild. And now there is a revitalization effort going on down there mm-hmm. because but it, it was far enough away where all these these big box stores opened up and killed the local economy. Yeah. One of the nice things about 
where uh, Bex and I just moved up in Ventura County. Um, I'm not going to talk about the city just yet. We're going mm-hmm. re- 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 to reveal that on a future episode, uh, talk about the local community. But one thing I'll tell you is the the there are no big chain stores anywhere. In, in fact, you have to drive like 30 minutes away to get to like a CVS mm. or a Walgreens. But there are what that does, it forces me to support the local caring businesses. Mm. And if I don't like one of the pharmacies, there's like two other pharmacies, right? Mm. And so you get to know the people. I, I met the local butcher there recently and you know bought some local grass-fed, grass-finished beef and liver and heart and bone marrow right mm. there in my neighborhood supporting the local economy. And one thing that we don't realize when we go to a dollar store or a Walmart or somewhere else is we aren't supporting people locally per se. Now, of course, local workers, potentially, but we're not supporting local business owners. And most of that money, if you go to one of these giant multinational corporations, most of that money is not going back in to your local community. Yeah. Number two, dollar stores are associated with negative health incomes. Even if a resident doesn't score a job there, at first glance, the opening of a dollar store in a food desert might come across as a good thing. Mm. Yeah, I would agree with that. In fact, before we opened the the grocery store, the the nonprofit grocery co-op in Dayton, Mm -hmm. that's where a lot of people bought their food. Interesting. Unfortunately, what most of that food is processed junk. Yeah. Seed oils and... Uh, all these preservatives, packaged foods. And so it's perpetuating disease in the local community. Yeah. Number three is dollar stores arguably aren't even that cheap. While they sell in smaller quantities that have extremely affordable price tags for many items, particularly food items, the price per weight is comparable or even more expensive than it might be elsewhere. Uh, Washington Post did an analysis found that dollar that a bottle of a dollar bottle of milk at a dollar store equated to eight dollars for a full gallon. Oh wow! So you're actually paying more. Thank goodness I don't have to fill my car up with uh, dollar store milk. <laughs> right. I don't know. It's pretty daggone close here in, in L.A. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Number four, dollar stores use a lot of packaging and a lot of toxic products Mm. because a dollar store is able to shrink nearly any product and turn it into a cheap alternative that actually is more expensive than it would be if purchased in its full normal size. They use they use significantly more packaging than other companies. So I think that's something to think about when you're buying these individually packaged things, you're producing more waste inadvertently. Yeah. And number five, Ryan. Dollar stores equal environmental injustice. Mm. This brings us to a problem our our country is facing. And dollar stores like these certainly play a role in environmental justice issues. The individuals who see the bright yellow DG sign down the street and who rely on it for many of their essentials are likely choosing between food and rent and struggling to meet their basic needs. Right. I think that's... um, it's I think gonna, that's true. When you when you yeah. see a lot of these dollar stores, they're popping up in neighborhoods without grocery stores, right? Yeah. And quite often, 
they are preying on low income people. And so while the prices appear to be cheaper, it's just like if I were to sell you cigarettes individually, Ryan, it's going to mm-hmm. appear to be cheaper. I'm right. doing two things here. I'm actually charging you more as opposed to buying a whole pack of cigarettes. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm also selling you cigarettes. Right. Which are harmful to those communities in particular. Right. Yeah. I mean, the communities where you and I grew up were really poor and we didn't have access to a local grocery store real close to where we were. Mm-hmm. And yet... We had access to you know, an equivalent of a dollar store, right? Yeah. A sort of c- convenience store with Cheetos and liquor and a lot of things that are unhealthy for us mm-hmm. without the alternatives to the unhealthy things. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's it's such a hard... Because like, I feel like I need to throw the caveat in here. Of, like, This isn't trying to make anyone feel bad for shopping at the dollar store or like any judgment, but it, it is what it is. And it's... It's an important thing to note that like, yes, yeah, some of these folks shopping, they have to choose between rent and other and, and food. Mm-hmm. And um, man, I, I would dare say like some of uh, there's a certain percentage of people that maybe that dollar store is the only option they have with their the income that they have. That's right. Yeah. But I would also I would also add on to that understanding like when you and I were growing up, we didn't have much money. We that very little bit of money that we did have, mm-hmm. we misspent it quite often on things yeah. we didn't need. Absolutely. Now, food we obviously need. And the question is, do I have access to healthy food and can I do it in a budget-friendly way? And mm-hmm. the answer to that is certainly yes. We have yeah. to be intentional about that. We did a podcast on that, didn't we? We did. Yeah, Yeah. we'll put a link to that in the show notes. But I do want to move on to a question we have here from Effie on Facebook. How has planned obsolescence changed the way we shop? Let's talk about what planned obsolescence is. It drives me crazy. (laughs) Well, I think quite often we, we think that there is this secret cabal of like tech overlords who are intentionally trying to get us to upgrade their phone every year by making their phones or gadgets self destructible. Right. And I will say there's actually, I found in doing the research for this, I actually found two industries in mm. which that tends to be true. Yeah. And it's not like it, there's, there's the truth lies somewhere between there is no planned obsolescence, obsolescence and these overlords. Like there's somewhere in the middle where it's, it is true to an extent. And let me give you two examples of two industries where it's closer to the overlords who these cartels of manufacturers mm. who are actually intentionally making products that expire before they should expire. Mm. The first one, light bulbs. And so the light bulb industry, and it has changed significantly. In fact, if you just go to Google, type in light bulbs, planned obsolescence, you will see that light bulbs used to last appreciably longer than they do now. And talk about an environmental impact of constantly changing all of these light bulbs. Mm. But the other one that I think is most pronounced and it drives all of us mad Printer ink cartridges. Oh my goodness, man! That's, <laughs> That's how you can get a you can get a printer for like ten bucks, but then like the ink is a million dollars. Everyone in the studio right now is like, "Yes, it's." <laughs> and here's the thing: in fact, they've even been caught where they put sensors on the printers that tell you the printer is out of ink, even though it still has half a cartridge left or whatever. Wow! So it stops the printing for you on your behalf. And talk about a ton of waste. Yeah. And there are other times we have to replace like, well, I'm out of red. So now I have to also replace the green and the Everything blue. Else, yeah. You know, I don't, we don't oh. have a color printer, but keeping that in mind, there is pl- planned obsolescence here. But I have yeah. an article here, Ryan. This is from Sierra. It's the magazine from the Sierra Club. Mm. 
And this article, which we'll put a link to in the show notes, is called Built Not to Last, Mm. How to Overcome Planned Obsolescence. In 2020, people worldwide bought some 24 million pairs of shoes, 64 million cars, and 1.4 billion smartphones, 200 million of them from Apple. More than 80% of iPhones sold last year went to, quote, upgraders, not first-time buyers. It's all part of business as usual. Since the 1920s, when light bulb manufacturers teamed up purposefully to purposely limit the lifespans of their products, that becomes a cartel, right? Yeah. Companies have been locked into a business model rooted in the concept of planned obsolescence Mm -hmm. to, quote, grow, at least the way economists define it. Mm -hmm. Corporations have to sell us more stuff every year which is why there are ever-changing products made from low-quality or even toxic materials by people working in unjust conditions. Mm. Planned obsolescence is why we see software mysteriously slow down, furniture designed with hollow legs and cheap staples, and clothing burned because it can't sell fast enough. We're going to talk about fast fashion on the Maximal episode this week, Ryan. Yeah, that's yeah, that's unfortunate. Did they uh, talk about like refrigerators and things like that in this article as well? Is your refrigerator running? <laughs> I better go catch it. <laughs> but no, I know that like, um, I don't know. I saw some TikTok video over like a guy was showing his refrigerator from the 50s that like still works. And then he shows like a modern refrigerator that doesn't last more than five years. Isn't what? Isn't that wild? Yeah, it's crazy. Well, it goes on to say as res- as repair shops close, landfills expand. How mm. did we get here? How can we change course? And that's what I want to talk about with this respect to this question from Effie today. Ryan is we know how we got here at this point. We we are partially to blame for the oh yeah planned obsolescence, and and in fact. That's the only part that we can control, really. Yeah. It, it, last week, we talked to TK about controlling the controllables and marking off all of the things that, you know, we talked about creating a list of everything you worry about. Write down on a sheet of paper, write down everything you are worried about mm-hmm. and then cross off the things that you can't control. Focus on the things you can control. Yeah. And then what can we control with planned obsolescence here? We can control what we buy. Yeah. Because if we're demanding cheap products constantly, more and more and more, cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, then yes, they're going to be obsolete. Mm-hmm. That might benefit us in the short term, but it benefits corporations in the short and long term because they're able to exploit workers overseas. Mm-hmm. They're able to use cheap or even toxic materials in their products that are yet to be regulated. And so, this article goes on to talk about the components of planned obsolescence. I'm going to go through these components with you individually real quick, Ryan. So we have design, linear growth, low wages, product logistics, marketing, disconnection. So a moment ago that we were talking about buying locally, right? Mm-hmm. Well, local people there is no planned obsolescence sort of built into that. You develop a relationship with a local business Mm -hmm. over time. A bike shop is usually also the bike repair shop as well. Mm -hmm. And so they're not going to make or sell you a bike that is going to break down on day one because they want your repeat business for years and years to come. And if you lose their trust on the initial sale, then they've lost your business in perpetuity. Right. 
It's a little bit different with the dollar store. They're not fixing anything for you, mm. right? Yeah. Here's a history of planned obsolescence. 1924, an international group of light bulb manufacturers called the Phoebus Cartel agrees to limit the lifespan of bulbs to around 1,000 hours, significantly shorter than the previous standard. There's a legit cartel who decided this. Yes. In 1924, so 100 years ago, is really when planned obsolescence started, even Mm. though the term didn't come into vogue until I think the 1950s. Mm. 1927, General Motors head Alfred P. Sloan introduces, quote, dynamic obsolescence Mm. (laughs) to maintain sales uh, as automobile markets began to reach a saturation point. GM unveils the industry's first design studio to foster demand for updated car styles and colors. Mm. And this is particularly insidious because you know, I, you can take your Toyota Corolla that you had, Ryan, and all of a sudden now you see the new version of the Toyota Corolla come out. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that one looks better than mine. Mm-hmm. They made some slight tweaks and adjustments and the yeah. spoiler sure does look great. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you're into. I mean, if you don't have a spoiler on your car, are you really living? <laughs> <laughs> Nineteen twenty nine, Christine Federick publishes Selling Mrs. Customer, which champions, quote, progressive, progressive obsolescence, a plan to stoke consumption by tapping people's love of changing fashions. Man. Quote, the same thrill that women have always had over new clothes, women are now also obtaining over replacement changes reconstruction, new colors and forms in all types of merchandise. Mm. So that fast fashion, yeah, the fashion trends, now everything is trendy from our cookware to our utensils, mm-hmm. to our couches, to our landscaping. It constantly needs to be upgraded, replaced, updated, changed, improved, bettered. Yeah. And it's making us freaking miserable. It's crazy. We do have this fixation, though, for like constantly upgrading things. That's right. I mean, every time the new iPhone comes out, I'm like, oh, I don't know what it does, but it sure does look a little prettier than the one I have right now. And in, in fact, now it's so it's so it's such a part of the marketing mm-hmm. that if you show me, if you were to set down an iPhone 12 and an iPhone 13. Yeah. I don't think I would know the difference yeah. at first glance. Yeah, they're pretty, yeah, pretty similar. But they make us feel as though we're behind. Yeah, they do. With how do they how do you do that? And this is why we always say advertisements suck. Mm-hmm. They do it through advertising, making you feel inadequate because you don't have the most up-to-date product. Yeah, and they do it with the unboxing experience too. Like there is a weird satisfaction of like everything fits perfect in that little box. And like even the, yeah, the experience of unwrapping it like gives you a little bit of a dopamine hit. That's right. Yeah. And so part of that is really nice. Creating a positive experience. Like I don't want my purchases to be a negative experience. Mm -hmm. But I also don't want it to be a euphoric experience because then what do I do? I go back and I need the dopamine. dopamine. I need one more hit of consumerism. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I'll put a link to this article in the show notes. There's one other bit I'm going to skip forward. There was 1932, 1954, 1989. New York Times coins the term fast fashion upon opening of the flagship Zara store in New York. 1996, Ikea launches the Chuck Out Your Chintz campaign, which uh, encourages British women to dispose of their 
stodgy old furniture embrace the, quote, freedom of regularly replacing living room sets. Wow. The freedom of replacing your furniture every three years. <laughs> Sounds so free. You know what's interesting, Ryan? When, I, when we talked to the minimalist architect in our first film, Frank, mm-hmm. he talked about when he bought the couch, the reason he spent two or three years, he ended up designing his own couch, mm-hmm. was because he wanted to make that decision for the rest of his life. This was his rest of the life couch. And Bex and I, the home we just, we purchased, mm-hmm. we're considering th- th- slowly, very slowly populating the space with, okay, what's the couch we want for the rest of our lives? Yeah. What's the bed that we want for the rest of our lives? What's the mattress that we want for the next 20 years? Yeah. And asking these questions, it's a sustainable question. Now, it doesn't make it a euphoric consumer process. It's driving me insane. And I'll mm. talk to you about why it's driving me so crazy, partially because I'm a completionist. <laughs> but I don't want to be replacing the living room set every three years, five years. Right. I don't need it to be trendy. What is timeless? Meaning mm. what's going to last my lifetime? Yeah. And finally, in 2001, Apple's newly introduced iPod has an unreplaceable battery that lasts only 18 months. Sparking outrage. Yeah. So that's planned obsolescence. We're going to check in with our live stream during the Maximal episode this week for the sake of time. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions, your comments to 937-202-4654. Yes, indeed. During the lightning rounds, Ryan and I do our best to answer your questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media. Oh, by the way, you can find all of our Minimal Maxims now in one place, minimalmaxims.com. We have a question here from Dina. I've found that more expensive doesn't always equal better quality. How do we look for something that's good quality and reasonably priced? Oh, here's my pithy answer for you. In fact, I have two for you. Everything is 100% off if you don't buy it. Let me expand on that real quick. So I don't, I don't buy things. I don't wait for something to go on sale to buy it. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I see something on sale, I tend to avoid it. Yeah. To me, sale is a sign. You know what I think now? Because I used to think, oh, I'd be dumb not to buy it. Right. What do I do every time I walk by a Joseph A. Bank, Ryan? <laughs> you joke around about how you'd be dumb not to go in there and spend a bunch of money. Yeah, because I'll, I'll There's take a always pic- a sale. Yeah. I'll take a picture in front of it. They have a perpetual sale. Yes. And it's like 50% off. Buy one tie, get seven yeah. for free. Remember when I was like looking at buying shirts and like a suit and stuff and I called you up. I'm like, dude, Joseph Bay Bakes is having a really crazy sale. Should I do it? And you're like, dude, they always have a sale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were at the, the Town and Country Mall yeah, in yeah. Dayton, Ohio. Yeah. And... um it's in Kettering. Yeah. And I remember that you you sent me that picture and I'm like, Ryan, it's it's <laughs> I all did send you a picture. <laughs> you it's like buy one shirt, get four free. Right. Yeah. And you're like, well, no, you're actually not I don't need five shirts, maybe. Right. But I'd be dumb not to do it, right? Yeah. But of course, maybe I'd be dumb to do it. Yeah. Whenever I see sale price before, it was, oh wait, I must act now. Mm-hmm. Sense of urgency. I'm mm-hmm. gonna miss out. Yeah. But now it's the joy of missing out, the peace of missing out. When I see something on sale now, you know what I think? Oh, what's wrong with that item? Yeah. Why did they produce something? Why don't people want it? Yeah. If the sale triggers me to want to buy it, that's usually a, a sign that I probably don't need that thing. Right. Now, if I go to the grocery store and I'm like, 
oh, the rice is 30% off today. Right. Great. Yeah, you're not like spitefully not buying. No, I'm going <laughs> to wait until this is regular price. Right, exactly. Yeah. But I do not seek out sale price because I seek to buy very few things because I want my goods to be the good goods regardless yeah. of what their price is. And yes, I will spend a little bit more on a item that I feel aligns with my values, mm -hmm. but I can do that because I'm buying one one hundredth of what I used to buy. Yes. And so I'm not going into debt to buy a bunch of things that I don't need. Yeah. And you keep in mind too, like, uh, like the, the Black Friday electronic sales, mm -hmm. they intentionally will make these cheaper versions of a product specifically, uh, specifically so they can charge, you know, half the price, um, but you're getting an inferior in for your product. That's right. Yeah. I have one more pithy answer for you, Ryan. What do you got? The most sustainable item is the item that's left on the shelf. Mm, amen. And so quite often we're trying to decide between two toxic things, which is the lesser of two evils or whatever, mm. not realizing you have a third option. Yeah. And that third option is to not buy the thing unless you're absolutely certain you need it. You're absolutely certain it will add value to your life. Now, of course, I'm not saying deprive yourself, but it might make, make sense to temporarily deprive yourself of something you think you need mm -hmm. because maybe you can go without it for a day. One of the rules that we have in the free minimalist rule book that you can download, theminimalists.com slash rulebook, is called the 30-30 rule or the wait for it rule. If something costs more than $30, I might have to update this with inflation, but... <laughs> if, if something costs more than $32... <laughs> yeah, oh, gosh, yeah. uh, it's uh, $60 now. Yeah. Uh, no, if it's, if it's more than $30, I wait 30 hours. So basically, mm -hmm. what does that mean? Any significant purchase, I wait a day or yeah. so. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm waiting a day, it turns out... And I'll, I'll, I'll simply, if I'm going to put it in my online shopping cart, I'll do that. Or I'll just put it on a list of things. You know, I have a, a grocery list on my phone, basically mm -hmm. in my in my notes app, mm -hmm. and I will just wait 24 hours. And quite quite often, or 30 hours, and quite often, what will happen is the next day I cross it off the list because I'm I'm honest with myself and I realize like, oh, that thing I thought I needed, I don't actually need at all. Yeah, that's a great lead into my pithy answer, which is, when in doubt, go without. There's mm -hmm. a third option. And it's, yeah, going without it for a little bit to see if you really, really need it. Absolutely. And if there's something that like you're depriving yourself from and uh, it turns out you do need this this item, I don't think you get bogged down in this as much as people kind of lead on. I think we get bogged down in it with things that we actually don't need. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. The things that are mimetic desires. Oh, yeah. society told me I needed that. I needed to upgrade my fashion. I needed to upgrade my car. I needed to upgrade whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, if you run out of printering, well, first off, you might not be out of printer ink. But the question then is, like, do I actually need printer ink? Do I need a printer at all? Right. Yeah. And Ryan and I have decided we needed a printer for here because we generally don't have screens between us. We right. do today because I had a bunch of articles I need to read from. Mm -hmm. But we prefer to do this podcast without glowing screens in front of us mm -hmm. that create a barrier. So it made sense for us. But I don't need a color printer and we don't need to print nearly as many things as we used to back in our corporate days. Yeah. And so can I be more responsible by just cutting down my use as well? Yeah. We got a bunch more to talk about. But first, real quick, for right here, right now, Here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalist. In fact, I got two things for you today, Nicodemus. Mm. The first one is, this is for the listeners at home. I have a, a free book called 15 Ways to Write Better. It used to be called 11 Ways to Write Better, but we found four new ways to write oh, better. It's, it's new and improved, updated. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> it's still free, though. Yeah. Actually, I should have increased the price from free times... Uh, 
Well, with inflation, it'd still be free, I guess. Right, I guess so. <laughs> Is that how math works? <laughs> yeah, I think so. It just reminds me of textbooks. Like, you know, they always have like the third edition, yes. fourth edition anyway, yeah. I'm not going to charge you anymore to to upgrade to this new edition. Mm-hmm. So it's got the 11 ways to write better plus four more. It's called 15 Ways to Write Better. 15 Writing Tips. The nice thing about this free ebook, you can download it. You can read the whole thing within 15 minutes. Mm. So the entire thing. And so today you'll have 15 tips to help you write better. If you download it, just go to howtowritebetter.org. That's my writing website there, howtowritebetter.org. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. And you can download 15 ways to write better. And second, Ryan, uh, we've been in the studio. As you can see, this is our new studio space. We've done two other episodes in here. And I want to thank Austin St. John. He's a friend of ours who has helped out with the color grading and the lighting and making this place just look stunning on camera. Shout out to him because he is a savant. When I see him, um, he came in here with uh, Danny this weekend and uh, we were working with Jordan via FaceTime and he comes in here and he makes just a few subtle adjustments and all of a sudden... I'm like, yes, this is it. This is exactly how we want the podcast to look. You've taken the thing that I can't describe vocally. Mm. I can't describe with words. And you described it with video. And it's right there. And it's beautiful. We've created this black abyss set. It's getting back to that minimalist aesthetic that we started with the the last podcast studio that we had. And so I just want to say a big thanks to Austin St. John for helping us out with uh, the coloring, the lighting of the podcast. It looks stunning. Thanks to you, my friend. Alabama, what else you got for us? Here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Hi, my name is Daniel, and I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. In previous podcasts, I've heard people wanting to do more for the environment, but not knowing how they can contribute. I've been using the search engine called Ecosia. That's the letter E C O. S-I-A dot org, Ecosia dot org. This search engine plants trees with its ad revenue. And while I do agree that advertisements suck, to me, it's a small inconvenience to pay for a great contribution for searches I'd be doing anyway on the Internet. They have already planted over 17 million trees across the globe, and they post monthly video updates on YouTube. Hi, this is Lauren. I live in New Orleans. I was cleaning out my clothes closet and dresser this morning and wanted to share my tip for keeping a minimalist wardrobe. So in my dresser and my closet, I have stacks of items, underwear, socks, shirts, shorts, jeans, etc. All of my different clothing items are in stacks. When I do laundry, I put the clean items at the bottom of each stack, so the items that I haven't worn most recently end up at the top of the stack, and I try to choose items to wear from the top each day. That way, if I find myself not not willing to wear something that's on the top of the stack because I don't like it anymore or it doesn't fit anymore, then I know it's probably time to get rid of it. I also do this with my hanging clothes. I will put the laundered items on the right side and try to choose items to wear from the left side. So they're also constantly rotating. Consequently, I only had a small bag of items to get rid of during today's purge because I wear most of the items that I own. All right, y'all, before we get to an outstanding added value segment this week, 
Let's read a sincere comment from one of our lovely Patreon subscribers. Sage says, I have been listening to the Minimalist Podcast since I was 17. I'm 19 now, and I just subscribed to your private podcast. And to that stage, I'll say, how dare you? Freeloading for two years? <laughs> Unbelievable. That's Mal- Alabama, cancel her Patreon subscription <laughs> immediately. That is so cool that like teenagers listen to this. That's, that's awesome, man. She goes on to say, my mind was in such turmoil before I found this podcast, both because I was thinking about things that I knew as a 17-year-old I should not have to think about and because I simply didn't have anyone around to direct my thoughts toward. Your podcast provided me that outlet. You put things that I had been thinking for years into words that I had always been afraid to say or write down. There is no doubt in my mind that the Minimalist Private Podcast has changed my life. Wow, Sage, I'm really honored, especially to, to see because these are formative years for you. And by the way, you're an outstanding writer for a 19. I mean, amazing. Brava. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I will, I will say this. It's amazing to see someone go through this journey when you're young because you're asking some questions right now. I'm so grateful for your, your listenership now because many of the people who are listening are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. Mm-hmm. And they had to go learn the hard way, right? Yeah. But you're learning through Ryan's and my failures, mm. our screw-ups, our inability to stay out of debt. You're learning these things now so you don't have to get into debt. You don't have to buy things with that you don't need, mm-hmm. with money you don't have, to impress people you don't even know. Yeah, man, it's never too late to start, and it's never too early to start either. Amen. Yeah. Ryan, for our added value this week, oh... My favorite album of the year so far. Okay. It just came out, although our our friend Ken Yates gave us an advanced link. So I've, I've been listening to this for about a month now. The album is called Cerulean, and it's from Ken Yates. I was going to play the song Constellation Prize, but he has this other song on there, so I'm going to call it Audible. It's called The Best of the Broken Things. Oh, wow. And since we're Love talking about the good good today, we've also been talking about a lot of the bad goods, mm-hmm. so to speak. Well... This song is called The Best of the Broken Things. It's from Ken Yates from my favorite album of 2022 so far, Cerulean. By the way, Ryan, we have a bunch more surprise questions this week like, how do we find clothing companies that use good quality fabrics and treat their workers fairly? How do we shop online intentionally? What are eight ways minimalism can help your finances? And what are seven brands that the minimalists trust for home furnishings? Plus, a million more questions for the minimalists. And if you want to hear all that, check out the Minimalist Private Podcast this week. Visit patreon.com slash the minimalist to subscribe and get your personal link so that our weekly private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. You also gain immediate access to hundreds of hours of private archives, recordings of live events, exclusive home tours, and our private community of thousands of open-minded minimizers like you. You can follow the minimalists on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the minimalists. If you want our podcast show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. On behalf of Ryan Nicodemus, Podcast Sean, Malabama, Jordan No More, Social Jess, Danny Unknown, P3, Emma the Immigrant, and the rest of our team, I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. If you leave here today with just one message, let it be this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time.
So you're having trouble sleeping 